I often don't know what's worse, but let me explain two situations that you might find the hardest for you. For some, they're going to be lonely at Christmas. The people that they wish that they could spend the time with won't be there. For others, it's going to be the people they are spending time with at Christmas. And there's a lot of good movies about that that show the tension of a great celebration, but the wrong people together. Um, On uh, the 28th of every month, I get my credit card statement. And uh, I think starting about the 25th, my knuckles are going to start getting white, okay? Knowing that when I open it, I'm going to go, oh my gosh, where did all, where, did we really buy all those things? That can be the hardest part. Others say that they don't like the busyness. They don't like gift shopping. They'd rather do it online or not at all. They don't like the commercialism. I've heard others say, all the movies and all the the songs that we put out about Christmas sort of missed the point. I've been challenged to watch the Hallmark station this Christmas. It's been delightful on Channel 70. Uh, I found out that Christmas is the best time to fall in love and get married. I thought it was June, okay? But as I've watched a couple of those shaking and going, ooh, that's hard to watch. It, it really is sweet and kind, but Jesus isn't in there. Uh, so whether it's the movies or whatever, and then we, we get back after Christmas, you have the cleanup. That might be the hardest part. Everything is either thrown out or put back where it belongs. The lights come down. The tree is thrown out or shrunk into a box. Uh, There's certain gifts that need to be returned, re-gifted, unless, of course, it was already re-gifted to you. And some even will be discarded. You can go on and be thinking about what are some of the more difficult things for me to experience at Christmas. And that's why I would like to make sure that you're invited to come every Christmas I mean, every Sunday of this Christmas season, because what helps me is to stay focused on what Christmas is all about, and that's Jesus. I I desire that with me, I would be helping you minimize the bad parts of Christmas and sharing some of the deeper meanings and the life changes that Jesus brings through the names that we are exploring as we talk about this baby. You see, in Scripture, there's about seven names that are used for Jesus that we uh, revert to during this time of year. You might say their names or maybe more titles, and they're introduced at his birth. Each one will be worth studying, but more than that, if each of those names is trusted in your heart, your Christmas will be fantastic. Even the parts you hate, you'll be able to endure. Today we look at the title, Lord. Lord. I want you to know that for over four centuries after Jesus' resurrection, his followers used one phrase to describe him and their faith in him. It made human governments and religious uh, leaders suspicious and even threatened. That's why they had to whisper it, because this phrase still makes people threatened. And I remember when I first heard it and continued to hear it as a new Christian, I was wondering, why is it so important? In Greek, they would whisper to one another so they could identify each other's faith. Iesu kurios. It means Jesus is Lord. It's just that the, the verb to be is not in that phrase. 
In essence, it means Jesus Lord. Jesus, comma, Lord. And if you were of Jewish background, then you knew that what you were saying was very dangerous because you were reverting in Greek to a word that was outlawed in Hebrew. That Jesus, when you say Jesus is Lord, you are saying that he is on the level of Yahweh himself. A name that was never spoken by a Jew after 70 AD. In fact, that name is not even found in Genesis. It's not found in the Bible until you get to Exodus, where an 80-year-old man by the name of Moses is confronted by God. And God says, "I, I want you to go back to Egypt where you're a wanted man. You did a murder there 40 years ago. I want you to go back there. And I want you to set my people, the Hebrews, free. Well, Moses is really excited about this. He says, find somebody else. I can't talk. And, you know, he, he really is eager for this opportunity. So uh, he comes up with this objection. He goes, Lord, if I go, if I go, the Egyptians and the Jewish leaders are going to say the same thing. Who are you and who sent you? Who are you? And all he can say is, I'm an 80-year-old man and God sent me. Which God? And that's where this word comes about, Yahweh. It means, I am. And he would say, I am sent me. That means a God who stands alone. A God who stands above all other gods. He is the real God who exists without anybody's help. And all power and all authority and all glory belongs to him because when you put all of those alls together, he is the only God. Now, this was a season in in the uh, history of of humanity where if you changed towns, you would go after the God of that town and you would share your allegiance now with this God. Whatever town you came from, whatever city, whatever kingdom, you would drop that God so you could fit in here. Sort of like moving to Denver and becoming a Bronco fan. You're welcome not to be a Bronco fan. You're just not welcome to talk about it. You're welcome to worship other teams. Some of you do. But you're not welcome to say, they're the best. Well, that's what religion was like. Aren't we glad it's only a football game? That's what religion was like then. Now... He comes and he's saying, there is a new one here. There is one that has never been uh, revealed before. And this God has revealed himself to me. He is the only God I am sent me. Does that word, Jesus is Lord, does that phrase, knowing that they are claiming that this uh, Jesus who we see in a manger, does that make you a bit nervous when he is given the same status as the one and only God? Imagine if you were a first century Hebrew woman woman, and you heard Jesus is Lord and you began to say it to others. What you'd be saying is this person who was crucified and we don't know where he is now, this person who was crucified means he is God. He is Yahweh himself in the flesh living among us. God becomes a man. And if you're tracking with me, then are you getting it? If you are, would you just repeat those three words after I say them? Jesus is Lord. Lord. 
Okay. Say it again. Jesus is Lord. When I first heard that, it made me nervous too. My parents watched all four of their children come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they loved the change in behavior. They didn't love the new status that Jesus was being given. Oh, Jesus was mentioned in our home quite a bit. And not in the way that we would do it now. It was Jesus this and Jesus that. It made my parents nervous. It makes anybody nervous because what you were saying is, I don't care what authority you think you have. Jesus has all the authority. So he comes with power and authority and he is the real deal, the real God. No one can take his place. That is his true identity. And yet how easy it was to get him mixed up. In the passage we were reading today, we see this disguised display of him. So from the very beginning in that cave in Bethlehem, Jesus' identity is God. And yet it was a disguised display of his deity. The first eyewitnesses were shepherds. We read that here. Because this is what the angel says to these shepherds who were outside of town. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. You see, the dual title is used there. Christ, meaning he's God's anointed leader. And Lord, Yahweh, the name for God from the time of Moses until 70 A.D. And not mentioned from 70 A.D. on by any good Jew. So the shepherds at this time... Uh, understand they're uneducated, they're considered immoral and not great theologians. All they can do is to take the angel at his word and they go to see the evidence for themselves. And sure enough, they find the baby. They find that baby and it's just as he said, lying in a manger, wrapped in claws. But that's all they see. So they had to assume that the rest of the story of the angel is correct. That this is Christ the Lord. So rightfully so, they worship him. They worship something that nobody else would be worshiping. They worship one who is, you know, totally disguised. And the shepherds will never witness Christ in his power, Christ in his authority, and Christ in his glory. They will never behold him, the real Jesus, as we now know him through the Gospels. They experience his humanity, and that humanity hides the reality of his lordship. It's sort of like undercover boss. You know, these, these bosses put on beards and dirty clothes, and they get a new job, and, and they, they work for the company they own or they're, or, or they're you know, the CEO of, and they try to find out what it's like to be in my own company. This is what he's doing. Well, this was not a new plan. It was from the very beginning God's great plan for his son. Paul tells us in what is probably a first century praise song who Jesus is and how we got to know him. And so understand that it was God's plan from the very beginning instead of Jesus pushing himself forward saying, here I am. Look at me. It was God's plan for each of us to discover for ourselves And Jesus would keep his disguise going. 
He would look like just another guy. And Philippians 2 says this, that it was God's plan. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he, by choice, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, by choice, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, by choice, he humbled himself by choice and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That was God's plan. My son will look like just another guy. He won't be rich. He won't be that famous. He won't be considered that successful. Just a guy. Another guy who serves others, another guy who serves God. And he serves God to the point of sacrificing his own life in the most shameful, denigrating death and execution that has ever been invented by man. It would be a disguised display so that we would make our choice just as he made his choice. And yet that is not where the story ends about Jesus as Lord. You see, it will be revealed. It is continuing to be revealed. But there is coming a time in which it will be revealed for everybody to see and to confess. This is the next part of of Philippians. I read verses 2 to 9, 9 through 11, which was read to you. Therefore God has exalted him for his humility to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Through his gruesome death that made him look like just another executed criminal. We will move forward to the time in which all humanity will one day acknowledge him. For who he is, Lord. And even today, more and more, continue to give him that title for themselves, for their own lives. Because that is the way they are considering him and treating him, Lord, today. And that number all around the globe continues to swell. And as it continues to swell, it makes those who think they're Lord very nervous, very suspicious. It makes those who think they're Lord very intimidated. Let me give you three examples. China has, mainland China has too many calling Jesus Lord instead of their communist government. And they're beginning to say, we're watching you, but there's more than they can handle. Muslim countries are fearful because there are too many of their young male youth turning to Jesus, not as a prophet, as in Islam, but as Lord. Listen to this one. I just heard this going on in India because I'm interested in India these days. The Indian government, which has taken on more of a Hindu flavor, is now offering to the the untouchables, the poorest classes in, in the nation who are turning to Christ in large numbers, they're offering them welfare if they will return to Hinduism. How tricky is that? How threatened are those who think that they are Lord? 
and it will go on. The problem has been that the more the people who think they are Lord attempt to squelch the confession of Jesus as Lord, the more people turn to Jesus and call him Lord. And they begin to confess him and they are bowing down to him. And so it will be until Jesus returns. That confession will swell. That bowing and worship will swell. And and uh, I, I don't know, but may, may I ask, have you confessed Jesus for who he is? For who the angel has said he is to the shepherds? Have you confessed and bowed to the lordship of Jesus in your life? If you have and if you're willing, and I want to say this, there were two things stopping me as a young person. Well, one thing stopping me as a young person to confess Jesus as Lord. It was my pride, thinking that I was in charge of my life. There's two things now. I may go down and not get back up. It's hard. But if you were able, and if you were willing, would you confess Jesus as Lord this morning by bowing on a knee with me and just saying Jesus is Lord? I have this help. And by the way, don't worry. If you do that, you won't come back up Catholic or Episcopalian. But I'm getting back down now. And if you are willing and if you are able, would you do this right now? Now silent before God, acknowledge that you are doing this because in your soul you are certain of the true identity of Jesus of Nazareth, that he is Lord. And now would you confess out loud again just those three words, Jesus is Lord. You may have to whisper it at work with another Christian. You may be told no displays of religiosity in places where you will be. But right now, where you are free to do this, and you're doing it, you might say, practicing for what you'll be doing all throughout eternity, we are saying, Jesus, you are Lord. And more than that, I think we're also saying, would you take more lordship in my life? I want you to be even more evident by the way I live, by the confession I make with my mouth, by the decisions that I make. Jesus is Lord. Amen. You can get back up now. I have a stool. Now, it does not end there because God gives us instructions through his son that one of the best ways we demonstrate our confession of Jesus as Lord is by the way that Jesus told his disciples to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. See, we're designated to duplicate what he has done. It says right here in John chapter 13 on that night that he gathers with his disciples just before his uh, crucifixion, he demonstrates his lordship over them by an act of service. Lordship, service. They go together with Jesus. Lordship, service. By an act of service by that he intentionally washes their feet. And you say, is that lordship? 
It is to Jesus. It is to Jesus. Because he tells his disciples how your Lord leads. And he uses these words. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. In other words, this is how you'll do it from now on. It is a foot washing or service of others that is a sign of the lordship of Jesus in your life. That's how the Lord does it. That's how we will do it. And that's how we are told to serve to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. How do you lay aside your great accomplishments, your wealth and your stature to obey this symbol of foot washing where you are showing his lordship over you? That is what foot washing is. That is what service is. It is a demonstration that you are duplicating, copying that Jesus did and we now do for one another. Here at Bergen Park Church, we have accentuated at Christmas time the opportunities to give to the poor. But we choose uh, organizations or, or ministries that are specifically Christian. In other words, the glory is given to Jesus. We give to those groups that, that really proclaim Jesus' name. You know, three of the ones that we are talking about right now, uh, Evergreen Christian Outreach, buying gifts for the poor, Pregnancy Center, uh, helping those fam- young families that are in crises uh, and helping them in many ways, the inner city schools. These are ways in which we proclaim that we are foot washing as our demonstration of Jesus is Lord. This is what Paul would say in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he's saying confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts. Not just that God raised him from the dead, but we're saying it at the very depth of our souls. I am counting on this. Jesus was not just another great man and another religious leader. He is Lord, God himself. Paul would also say after that in in 1 Corinthians, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, people can say it in a mocking way, and I've been one of those, and I have had to ask forgiveness. Uh, I, uh, you know, uh, you might say, associated with Christians in high school that that were following Jesus and would use that phrase, and uh, I would mock them by saying it. at my 40th high school reunion, uh, one of the guys that I caught up with, I said, you know, when I became a Christian, you teased me incessantly. And he goes, yeah, I don't do that anymore. And he shared his story of how he came to Christ. I said, yeah, be careful about mocking Jesus. It's going to bite you. It really will. Eventually, it'll bite you. And so he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so we utter those reverent words of trust. Jesus is Lord. Say it again. Jesus is Lord. And if I just have to say this. Can you speak those words at yourself? Have you come to the point in your life where you could say, I've, I, I've gone from... Um, having good feelings about Jesus, of investigating Jesus, uh, of coming to some sort of conclusions about what I think he is, 
to confessing him. I believe inside of my soul. That decision maker inside of me. That Jesus is Lord. He is God himself. Sent in a disguised manner. But one that we would bow our knee to eventually. Both those under the earth. Those above the earth. And all of us past, present and future on this earth. Have you said that with everybody else who eventually will? Some to their shame. And eternity apart from God. But we pray for most. It'll be what has made all the difference. Call him Lord with pride. And I, maybe, maybe you are saying this this morning, the very, for, for the very first time in your life, I can say, Jesus is Lord. If so, could I suggest, I've gone digital here, you let me know, bergenparkchurch.org, jim at bergenparkchurch.org. I'd love to set up some time with you to talk about it. If so, some people are still relational and they grab me after church. And they talk to me face to face. Can you imagine that? Wow. Or we have prayer cards at the back. And just let me know the information where we could get together and begin to talk. Maybe you came with somebody who honestly says Jesus is Lord and you get a little tired of them. But now you're one of them. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, there's not a better moment to place our trust in you than in this season where the true God becomes true man. God in disguise. This event that we celebrate in this season tells us how your true lordship shines through your veiled arrival. And for those of us who are calling you Lord, there is no better season to honor you as Lord than to imitate you. Your very son, where we declare your lordship by laying aside any personal glory, any personal honor that may come to us. Instead, we find ourselves in the midst, as our Lord did, foot washing. Foot washing through Christian organizations and ministries. Foot washing in the home those that we love most. Foot washing in the community and foot washing in the church. Yes, this is a very busy season. But the way we call you Lord, the way we demonstrate it and display it best, 
is the ways that we will treat one another. That's lordship. Help us, especially this season, to be saying both in, with our mouths and the way we live, Jesus is Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen.